Good morning. Thank you, Nathan, for your prayers. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 16 this morning. It's been good to be here this week and uh, staying in uh, the Sorgan Fry's house and uh, their parents' house. They probably wouldn't want me in their house with all their kids. Uh, But a privilege to uh, be here this week and get to meet some of you and see a lot of others at lunches and breakfasts across Oxford. So I would just ask that you pray for, yes, please pray for me and Kathy as we try to sell our house in Hernando and move here hopefully uh, definitively by this coming summer. So thank you for your prayers and apparently thank you for your votes. I'm here this morning. Thank you. And uh, we go before Presbytery in February and then in March there'll be an installation service that you will be made aware of. would love to have you be a part of that. Uh, yesterday, uh, there was the funeral of, of Mark Lowry, who founded Reform University Fellowship at Southern Miss in the early 70s, before it even really became part of what we now know as the PCA Church, Presbyterian Church in America. And Mark and Bebo were instrumental in keeping three principles before us as campus ministers. I, I was privileged to serve there seven years at Southern Miss, and those three principles were scripture, justification, and sanctification. They were drilled into you at every training, at every one-on-one, at every meeting to remind yourself of the task of what a minister does on the campus. And so those doctrines, those principles are essential and important to us as Christians. And so as we get ready for the new year, we're really talking about in this passage, right, the doctrine of scripture, the nature of God's word, that he has breathed it, carried it along, protected it, through men who have carried it down through the ages so that you and I might receive this word of truth. It's authoritative. We believe it's the only rule for faith and practice and understanding who God is and who we are. And another beautiful reality of the doctrine of Scripture is we actually are to believe it's sufficient. But that may be the greatest challenge we have right in our days, to actually believe the word of God is enough because Jesus Christ himself, the word, is enough for you and me this morning. Uh, this passage in my early Christian experience was one which you, you kind of got excited. It's sort of like this manhood moment. Yes, the Word of God, sharper than a living, you know, double-edged sword and dividing. This is awesome. And then I, I realized in my 30s and having kids, man, this is, a, this is a very convicting word, this Word of God. And then now in my 50s and, and moving forward in life going, this is a humiliating word. This word undoes me. But the hope is, as we confront this word as it confronts us, right, is that we see how we have fallen short of the glory of God. And at the same moment, when we understand that about ourselves, it also reveals our constant need for forgiveness and rest in Jesus Christ. That's the hope of this text before us. So let's turn there now, beginning in verse 11. Let's hear the word of our God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. As the grass withers and the flowers fall, the word of our God endures forever and ever. Long after you and I go the way of all the earth, this word will continue on. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable in the sight of our God, who is the rock and redeemer of his people. You've heard across the political spectrum that no politician should waste a good crisis. Maybe you've heard that statement several times. And even if you look over the last couple of weeks, with all the pandemonium of different places around our country and around the world, there's always a, 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 a bunch of people gathered behind a microphone kind of trying to join arms together during a crisis to show they're sort of, we're, we're here for you, right? And we need to know this morning that God himself never wastes a crisis in our lives at the moments he leads us into those times and spaces. But why does it take a crisis? Haven't you thought of that? Why does it take a crisis for God to get my attention? Because that seems to be the way in which God shows us his goodness and his faithfulness to us. In this text, these Jewish Gentile Christians who lived in the Roman provinces were being faced with being cut off from their families, from their employers, from all kinds of civil activities because they put their faith in Jesus. So a lot of the Jews wanted to go back to Judaism. Let's just go back to what worked and nobody persecuted us because of this man named Jesus. And so in this text, there is a crisis of faith for the church and persecution revealed hearts filled with unbelief, which is, of course, not difficult for you and me to understand. But the author exhorts us to enter the rest which God provides, a rest that is to be experienced in God's promises and the provision of God's Son. This letter for the church, we might say, is an evangelistic letter, an exhortation. And like the recipients of this letter, our tendency is to seek rest in ourselves, to manage our lives apart from God. And this, of course, is spiritual disaster. So it is God's word that exposes us to the dangers of turning away from God's promises. But the Hebrew writer also points us to a place of hope, a hope that must be tied to something that will last, a hope which we can find a place of rest. And this hope, we know, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Rest for our broken hearts, rest for our weary souls, rest from our confused minds. As you have been studying that Jesus is the hero, uh, we might say of the Bible, but of all of creation, right? He's the hero who has come to rescue his people, the Hebrew writer, in Hebrews chapter 2 and actually chapter 12, called Jesus the archegos, the champion, the gladiator, the forerunner, the one who goes before us and prepares a way. He has entered into the ring of suffering and death for you and for me. And so it is this word that the Hebrew writer is pushing us to believe in once again because God's word exposes us to our belief that we might find rest in Jesus, the great high priest and the hero of scripture. The Christian faith is filled with hope and and this writer in Hebrews has three images for us that help us understand the the gift we have in faith in believing upon Jesus. And these three images kind of move us through the passage and help us to see how God is at work in his people's lives. There's a there's the picture of a sword, there's a picture of a priest, and then there's the picture of a throne. A sword, a priest, and a throne and so 
Any kids, I'd love to see your drawings, and of course adults as well, because I know you guys doodle as well. And I'd love to see those images or drawings, because that's what the Hebrew writer is doing. He's using these images to pull us through this text to see our desperate need of finding rest in Jesus as our great high priest. So notice in verses 11, 13, that the Christian life is one of living by the sword, living by the sword. Of course, the turn of phrase is if you live by the sword, you also die by the sword, right? And there's a sense in which, right, as we come to God's word, it reveals who we are. And it causes us to die to ourselves, to see something about ourselves spiritually that we are not always aware of. And we are told here that the word of God is a sword beyond all compare. It is living and active. It is never put down by God. It never goes dull. It has range and depth and power for exposing sin and unbelief in our lives before God. There is a certain weariness, right, and restlessness as we feel and experience uh, experience in this life while trusting in ourselves rather than in God. Now, why is that important? Well, if you go back to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, you, this begins in a precarious kind of way because he talks about disobedience. Well, he's referring to the people of God back in the days of the, the wilderness wanderings. And he says above in 3, 10 and 11 that they went astray, that they forgot to know his ways that they were stiff-necked and they were hard-hearted. And even the Hebrew writer says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so this sword, this image, is a word of promise for you and for me. And we are to strive to enter into the rest that God promises us in Jesus. And so that means that the promises of God are true. We might even say that they're true truth, simply put. And his words contained in the Bible are clothed in God's works of creation and providence throughout all redemptive history. And this means all things and everything in our lives are according to God's plan. Because all things are tied to truth, that is the veracity of God's word. You may remember that scene with Jesus before Pontius Pilate when he is brought before him after the religious leaders charge him with sedition and want him executed. And as he comes before Pilate and Pilate can find no wrong, Jesus says this, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And what was, what was Pilate's response? What is truth? What is truth? Even as he washed his hands after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our day. This is our struggle. What is truth? What are we to believe? How do we know that God's word is true? Well, God's word says it is true and bears witness to who Jesus is and why we need him so desperately. The God of the Bible works for our salvation because he has rested his eternal plan upon Christ. It is our indifference to God's activity in our lives, right? In our lives and his provision of rest for us in Jesus. This is the great warning of this passage. Indifference is the great warning before God's promises. We are called, actually commanded, to enter the rest that God has provided Yes, in a person. Yes, on a day like this Lord's Day, this day of rest and gladness. And we are not to seek another way 
of rest for ourselves. We can't vacation our way to rest. We can't go to enough counseling. We can't do enough things outdoors to find rest in and of ourselves. That's the word of God and belongs to his promises. But furthermore, this sword is a word of, of sanctification. This, this picture of walking through the, this life with, with Jesus. And, you know, the technical language there is we're, we're learning how to die to our sin, right, and to live for God or live unto righteousness as we confess often. And this doesn't mean that we are like climbing, you know, ascending the stairway to heaven. This is more like condescension into understanding how dark and desperate our hearts are for Jesus and his promises. That's what sanctification is, and God uses his word by exposing us for who we are and what we need from him. This word demands that we take it up, to strive to take it up. Paul writes later in Ephesians 6 that this this word is the sword of the Spirit, the very word of God for you and me. And notice it's a piercing word of the Holy Spirit. It wounds our pride and brings about conviction. Why? For the sake of, of healing us. Right, showing us our desperate need for Jesus, to put our faith once again in him. And this word, as we take hold of it and believe upon it, by the power of the Holy Spirit grows the wisdom of God within us to see ourselves honestly and rightly according to the scriptures. Indeed, this is a sharp word which cuts away all other false promises, the the promises of wealth, of love, of power, of significance, of being the ideal parents we thought we were going to be, or being the spouse or the spouse we wanted or the spouse we thought we could be to our mate. No, all of those things are cut away to see that we desperately need this word found in Jesus, this word of promise, this word of rest. And this word also dismisses our attempts to hide from reality, the facts about our lives, and that includes all of our failures. The text says, right, all people are naked and exposed or bare before God. It's an effectual word. Uh, I grew up uh, in a broken home, and I grew up in a bar on the weekends. And those people became family in many ways. But when I went off to college, I came to know the Lord Jesus, and I went back one summer after a summer conference, and I went into, went into the bar, and the lady who owned the bar was a, was a dear friend of our family's, and she was a very loving woman, but she was, she, was, she was tough. She was real, and she said to me when I came back in, she goes, I hear you're, you're going to want to be a priest or something. Is this true? I said, well, uh, Carol, I'm not going to be a priest. I'm kind of Presbyterian. We don't do the priest thing, and so she says, well, you don't really believe, you know, all of that stuff. And she said a lot of other things along with the word stuff, right? And she said, you don't really believe all that stuff, do you? And I said, well, Carol, I, I, I do believe in all this stuff, and, and you do too, I said. And she, wow, she just went off on a tirade of calling me all kinds of things. But I knew she actually still loved me, but she was what? She was confronted with truth, with the fact that we are all naked and exposed before God. There's nothing hidden from his sight. She knew why are so often the, the people we love, they don't, want to, they don't want to take up the scriptures and read. And when you're usually in a dark spiritual place, you don't want to take up the Bible and read. Because what? It exposes us for who we are and desperately what we need in Jesus. It's an urgent word. It's a realistic word. And it has no pretense. It knows us 
because God knows us. Cornelius Van Til, the great apologist, said this, the Bible is authoritative on everything of which it speaks, and it speaks of everything, he says. I don't know about you, this um, Christmas break, uh, went, well, I don't know why Christmas went better than Thanksgiving. I was telling people that in the hallway. Christmas is more laid back, but it's always time to cook, and it's time to chop up things. It's time to eat meat, and so I finally said, hey, where is the sharp knife? You know, we have two blocks of knives that are all dull. We have four extra sharpeners, but there's only one knife I know in my house that is actually sharp. So I beg, where is that knife? Who has hidden that knife from me? And I want you to think about this text. I want you to think about that picture, right? God's word is this sharp, double-edged sword. And it's used by the Holy Spirit to expose us to God's word, to help us, to heal us by grace and truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows us the truthfulness about our present realities in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says about his own life and his own preaching, he says this, one, for one, it's the smell of death unto death, and to the other, the fragrance of life unto life. This is the nature and authority of God's word. Well, how are, how are we to live by God's word? How are we to live by God's word? There was a great book written several years ago by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book, right? It's, it's a metaphor of how Christians should know and devour, consume, and meditate upon the scriptures of our God. So we might know him and rightly might know ourselves better day by day to eat this book, to know the scriptures and apply them to our lives. And I have to say that if you're like me, you've probably listened to 20 sermons this month, and you've heard a lot of great preaching from this pulpit. But my question to you is, had you asked God and the Holy Spirit who wrote the word that was preached to actually apply that to your lives and to your hearts? Otherwise, we're just consumers of doctrine and theology without asking God to press that down into our souls and change the way we live for him and the way we live live for with one another. It's daily that we must meditate and examine our motives through the lens of Scripture. In turn, this grants us what? The hope of God's promises in every era of our life, physically, whether on this side or the next side of heaven, or and spiritually and emotionally. The Christian life is one of living by this sword, the very Word of God. Secondly, The Christian life is one of resting in the priest, resting in the priest in verses 14 to 15. You know, this is the moment of crisis in the text. Where can I find a priest who will help me in my time of need? And the Hebrew writer says, he's your priest. There is one great high priest. He says, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to him. See, the word of God drives us to despair of ourselves and of this world, so we might look to another. Jesus is the one man, the one man who understands our plight and our crisis with sin and unbelief. And that's why in verse 14, we have a priestly confession that we together as the church must hold on to by faith. We have in present tense this great high priest He has gone before us and he is present with us by the power of his word and by the power of his spirit. Even this morning, he's alive. He's passed through 
the heavenly places and occupies a throne on the other side of eternity, bidding us to come to him. He is eternal life and hope for us today. This man, Jesus, serves as the great high priest. He is better than the the prophets and the, the priests of old. He's better than Aaron. So if you look back in Hebrews, he's the better Moses, the better Joshua, the better Aaron. Jesus is the great high priest who offers himself once up as the sacrifice and the one who mediates God's grace and mercy and intercedes for you and me even this morning. Not an annual or temporal sacrifice, not the things we tried to bring, but he is the sacrifice that we must trust. Jesus offered himself up once and for all. Therefore, our understanding of Christ as the great high priest is essential for you and me to find rest in him. We have a priestly confession in verse 14, but in verse 15, we have a compassionate priest, the text tells us, that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness in every respect, and yet we are told without sin. In every way, Jesus understands the plight and the struggle against sin. And you have to remember this. Every time I've come to this text, it's, it always makes me shudder that Jesus never sinned, right? He, he never committed sin in thought, word, or deed. He was the sinless son of God, fully God and fully man. He never sinned, and yet he was the man of sorrows. It's an amazing picture for you and for me this morning because we just are tempted and we just give in to slander, gossip, and every other evil under the sun, right? But this man, Jesus, sympathizes with us because of, well, because of our sin and because of our weakness. And this is found in his eternal love for us. Jesus, as the one tempted on earth, is the altering of the universe. What do I mean by that? Do you realize if you can think about the passive and active obedience of Christ while he walked upon the earth, that the cosmos, we sang about groaning this morning in one of our hymns, that the cosmos moves to the edge of its seat to wonder if this man Jesus, this great champion, will fail before he accomplishes his task upon the cross. Literally, creation is wondering, will he accomplish this work? How will he accomplish this work? Will he give up in the end? Will he not die on a cross, or will he? And the cosmos rejoices, and we can rejoice this morning that our Savior lived the perfect life and died the perfect death for you and me today. Our temptation most often gives way to sin, but we can never say about our God or about our Savior Jesus that he does not understand the plight, the consequences, the reality of our sin because he died for them. Don't you see that's a biblical impossibility that God doesn't understand you or where you are. It's just not true. He does. He knows us in every single respect. And that is heartwarming if we consider this text. Are we resting in Jesus, our great high priest, this morning? Are we trusting in him and in him alone? Now, that's standard fare. We confess it. You hear it preached to you every Sunday. But, but do you have a sense of your great need? Right, the hymn we sing, the, the only fitness that God requireth of you is to feel your need of him. And he gives this to you, the, te- the, the hymn goes on to say. Do you feel, do you sense your need 
of him. And are you helping others to find rest in Christ or are you making them more restless? I, I don't know about you, <laughs> but, but I, I, want, I want people to run to Jesus. I really want to help them. But really, most of the time, I, I want to be Jesus, right? I, I want to, to step in the gap and, and take the place of Jesus. And that's a fool's errand. And probably a lot of the reasons why we have so much relational discord in our families, maybe even in our churches, right? You can write this down. You can say it to yourself. You can say it every hour of every day and find great hope in Jesus, your great high priest. You can say this, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Make that a part of your verbiage and maybe, just maybe, you will understand this Jesus who sympathizes with your weakness in every single respect. Lastly, the Christian life is one of going before the throne in, verses, in verse 16, going before the throne. There is before us in this text an, an endless throne of grace, that's what we're told, with confidence. Man, I wish I had more, right? With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Let us, as a people, he is saying, corporately, why? Because Jesus is seated upon this throne. It is the place where it is filled with overflowing through the grace and mercy of Christ. Our kingly priest's work, it's a hard thing to say, our kingly priest's work is on display for those in heaven now and those who live by faith upon the earth this morning by the power of his word and by the power of his spirit. This throne, you see, provides unprecedented access to a father who is full of mercy, right? We sing, he's the father of mercy, pure father of light. All angels adore you and dwell in your sight. That's us. We dwell before a father who is in heaven, who is full of mercy. And this throne of Jesus, right? Our king displays the vistas of God's redeeming love. Go throughout the scriptures and see how God is redeeming a people. That's the big theme of all of scripture. There's a people in need of redemption, and God is redeeming a people. And that's the story of the scripture. That's why Jesus is our hero. This is why he is our great high priest. Because there we find God's redeeming love for sinners like you and like me. He loves us no less today than when he hung upon the cross for you and me, right? That's the great hope. His grace is for needy and hungry sinners. And our task is knowing our need and holding fast to our confession, then drawing near to his throne of grace by holding on to the Jesus of Scripture. Not the Jesus of our own imaginations, not the Jesus of our own manipulations, but the Jesus who reigns in power and truth on high for you and me. There's a throne of endless grace. But lastly and finally, there is a throne of deep assurance, deep assurance, even for this moment in our lives. Don't, don't you want to be assured of the work that God has begun in you? Don't you want to know of his kindness and his loving kindness and his grace to you this morning? He says it's here. You can find mercy, receive mercy, and find grace in your time of need. Can, can I ask you a question? When is there not a time of need? When is there not a moment in which you need Jesus of every hour of every day? There's always a time of need. And Augustine said this, right? You've heard this. 
Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. That is in Jesus. Now and forever, Jesus' rule is faithful. It's deliberate and ongoing. As I was saying before, lost my notes. He, was no less, he no less loves you today than when he hung upon the cross back then. His intercession is ongoing as a living sacrifice. He presents himself as the one and only worthy sacrifice, this text tells us. He prays for us and we pray in and through him by the power of his spirit with a confident faith. Because of him, not because of us. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 10 Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is and has a great reward. Jesus, my friends, is your great reward. Don't let him go. Don't throw him away. And, of course, this means we have to let go of everything else and everyone else. You can't hold on to two things at the same time. Here it is, Jesus, our great reward, our great high priest, And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a priest who knows us so well that we can continually and actually find rest in him. Now, my friends, this is truly, is it not, amazing grace. We have a family member whose name is Uncle Jim, Kathy's uncle, and he is a strong man. And he was a Kentucky State Trooper for 30 years and a horse farmer in northern Kentucky, and he is one of the heroes of our family, one of the men who is a rock in leading and trying to love a bunch of crazy people like us. But Uncle Jim has had a bout with mouth cancer for the last 10 years, and through all the surgeries and the chemotherapy and the radiation, it it has left him in great pain and in great suffering. But even in the midst of all of that great suffering, he has lived well. He's lived with dignity, without complaining, without despairing, even smiling while he's wiping the drool off his chin around a family meal. Will Hogue, one of my favorite singer and songwriters, wrote a song for Ram, a Ram Truck called Strong. And it always reminds me of Uncle Jim. The verse says this, He'll pick you up and won't let you down. Rock solid inside and out. Somebody you can trust. Steady as the sun. Ain't nothing going to knock him off the road. He's rolling on. He is strong. Everybody knows he ain't just tough. He is strong. Everybody knows he ain't just tough. He's strong. My friends, Jesus, your great high priest, is not just tough because of what he endured in this life and upon a cross. He is strong. He reigns in power with all authority for you and for me today. May we hear the words of the Hebrew writer once again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Instead, come to your great high priest, for he set a table for you and me this morning. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for giving us your Son and Jesus, we are so thankful where you were occupied. You were on a throne. You intercede for us. You pray for us. You love us. You gave everything to have us. And we rejoice today that you reign in heavenly places. And we long for your coming again, that you will come back and put all things to rights. But until then, would you give us faith and trust to believe that you are enough, 
that the word that you have given us just doesn't point us to salvation. Your word is salvation for us because, Jesus, you're the word of life. And in you we find all the hope and abundance of living upon the earth. Would you be with us and send us out from this place with a people filled with hope who are longing for rest? And we pray this in your name. Amen.